Hello, and welcome to Common Fan Commentary. I'm your host, Adam. I am joined by my friend, Ronnie. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, yeah, my name is Ronnie. Uh, just another average uh, dude who likes to talk about uh, soccer, honestly. That's, that's about it. Basically, what this uh, podcast is, is just kind of our thoughts on sports. Um, we kind of like to keep stay current. So currently, the one that's going on is soccer. We're still kind of waiting in America for pretty much everything else. So we're kind of going to chat a little about European soccer. We're going to travel a little east since we're not able to physically. We have a moderator here, Rob. He's going to keep us on track and make sure me and Ronnie don't get too crazy. Yep. Yep. And I only have a day's worth of experience in soccer, so it should be a good time. You know, that's I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I hated soccer all my life until my friends started beating me in FIFA in the in my college dorm. So then I bought FIFA, played it to death just so I could beat him. Yeah, playing soccer was just something I always did. And then I beat the living crap out of my dad and my brother in FIFA because I hate losing. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we start with the news? So first up is Man United looking like a totally different team since Bruno Fernandes' transfer. Yeah, so that was the long-awaited saga of their the, their scoring option. He basically is their team now. They're 6-3-0, and haven't lost since he's showed up. He just like gives them that dynamicism they've been looking for. Because they've been rumored with him for, what, like over a year and a half? And then they finally were able to do it a few months ago. That I feel like they honestly are a, a team that is going to be hard to beat in the future. Anytime in soccer, right, you have transfer news. It's it's a toss-up. Like It could be linked to one team, linked to another team, and then someone's like, oh, the deal's going to finally happen. Deals never happen. I was surprised to see Bruno Fernandez go to Manchester, but something that Manchester's always been good at is, you know, making sure to get those uh, Portuguese players to come to the British Premier League after they've played pretty good career up until that point, until their transfer day. I mean, they're two for two. And the last one, you know, we, we all know who that is. He, he went on to do great things at Real Madrid, and I wouldn't say great things at Juve yet. Everyone I mean, knows Cristiano. He has 25 so. goals in 27 games, so. That is true. Hey, if anything, Bruno Fernandez, as I think the midfielder Man United was hoping to have when they went and got the likes of someone like Pogba, where everyone's like, oh my goodness, he's going to be insane. And then Pogba just kind of fizzles out. Bruno Fernandez, honestly, might not be as big of a name, but he's definitely producing like someone whose name should be like at the top of midfielders, in my opinion. And it's been a short list for a short time, but he's 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 been doing well. He's kind of what they wished Pogba, Pogba could have been. They were trying 100%. to look for this guy to control the pace of the midfield, be the maestro of the offense, and kind of link in, link in with the defense. And they, Pogba just kind of fell flat there for a year, just between like debates of, between them and Mourinho and all the. He was just a drama case happening. Bruno definitely completes their team, which I honestly still think is pretty incomplete. But I think they're one or two pieces away from challenging next season. Do you think the Bruno Fernandez move will keep old Gunnar Scholes? Uh, I can never say his last name. Skolsjar. Skolsjar. Hey, just two, you know, just three Americans trying to speak on European soccer here. Yeah. But I think with that transfer, old Gunnar, that's what I'll just call him since that is technically his name. I think that's going to help him pro- like maintain his position as manager. And we'll see how, if honestly, if Bruno Fernandez keeps producing and he allows players like Mason Greenwood 
like the young forwards to produce on their end as well. I think Bruno Fernandes will be a key player in like next season's roster and will probably be a starter in the midfield every yeah, single game if they can. He, he definitely saved several people's jobs at Man United. <laughs> I agree. I honestly agree because they have been going through those coaches with since Ferguson retired. That I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Here's another Man U coach that I would be surprised lasts more than a full season. I, w- I had my bets set on them firing him at the end of the season. I didn't know much of Bruno Fernandez. I just knew he was a targeted player by multiple teams. Right. But you, know, you come from a smaller league. Not saying Portugal's bad, but it's not the top five, right? It's not You're not talking Bundesliga. You're not talking Syria. You're not talking British Premier League, La Liga. It's kind of one of those like, all right, these guys are good. But how good will they really be when you surround them with other world-class players and other world-class clubs? But honestly, seeing Bruno Fernandes kind of blossom a little bit, I've enjoyed, I think his play style is entertaining as a midfielder who is very attack-driven, just causes the team to look better. And, I mean, they've been playing better. I mean, the record shows it since he has transferred. So I like it. I think it's a win for Man U. As long as they can keep him and allow him to keep producing. I think it'll be a a good permanent move for him. Next up, Arsenal is rebounding under Arteta. Yeah, that's my biggest shock is they they were definitely struggling to find their any identity under Arteta so far. Just watching them, they honestly looked a little confused on the field on what they were doing. And it just seemed like players weren't linking up well. The way he would set the lineups would often leave players out that would seem to be crucial. Their defense is utterly sloppy with the likes of what Man United used to be. Kind of really strange for me to see that they're actually seeing success without having any any transfers like the Bruno Fernandes one. I remember at the start of the season when prior to Arteta and how bad they were struggling. And any time I think of Arsenal, man, I can't just not think of David Luiz as a center back, and then somehow the scoreline always ends up with them losing, and David Luiz either caught something, got sent off, oh, or no. did a whole lot of nothing. Like just that's, <laughs> when I think of Arsenal, I just think of David Luiz screwing up, which I know it's not just him; it has to do with the rest of the team. But for some reason, just David Luiz and Arsenal doing bad, just to me in my head, just seemed like a match made in heaven. <laughs> and the fact that they gave that man an extension to me baffles me because I, if I was Arsenal, I would have gotten rid of him a long time ago. Yeah, and um, they extended him after he scored an own goal after being subbed on in the 20th minute and then gets red carded 25 minutes later. Listen, man, if that's how getting promotions worked in real life, then I must be doing something wrong. Cause that's failing upwards. <laughs> that's the point where he probably walked off after he got sent off and Arteta was like, congratulations, your extension went through. And he was like, it did? He's like, all right, I'll see you in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> and I am glad to see him doing better. I think they have a very good young core coming up with Saka and Ketia Saka. What's this? And Ketia? I think Eddie and Ketia. Yeah, and Ketia, you have Pepe on the side, which I know Pepe was a transfer last year. Yeah, Um, you have $75 million transfer. Yeah, which I think he's starting to find his footing under Arteta because I know prior this season he was getting a lot of like backlash and he wasn't scoring, he wasn't producing. Then you have Martinelli, 
a forward, like 18 year old. I think they have a decent core coming up in the ranks. And I think if they can help produce those players and give them more playing time, I think they can get away from the likes of like big name transfers and honestly just keep a core of young guys who can honestly fill that role for Arsenal for a few more years at least. Or they can turn into a profit later on. So do you think they should let Aubameyang go to make space for their young prospects? Since he's, been, he's been linked with several large clubs because he, he's a, still an effortless scorer, even in the Premier League. So do you think they should let him go? If I had a pick between Aubameyang or Lacazette, I'd much rather let go Lacazette. Okay. I think Aubameyang could still be useful, but I definitely feel like they should be giving Martinelli, Manquetia, all those younger guys more playing time because anytime I feel like I've watched them play, like those younger guys, they've been able to produce. Ganduzi in the midfield, who is basically a mini David Luiz, same hair, looks the same, just different position. Yeah, um, well, rumor has it Windozi has fallen out with Arteta's plans and he's pretty much demanding a transfer out of there. You so, hate to see it. I think yeah. I think Arsenal should should start thinking about keeping the younger players. Aubameyang, I think he's still producing enough, at least in my book to where it's okay to keep him. But Lacazette, I'm like, dude, they brought you in from France a while ago, and I haven't seen you do much, honestly. It's safe to say he's been kind of disappointing at his in his Arsenal career. Yeah. He's been struggling with injuries year, year after year. I think he's 20, almost 29 now. I think out of the front two, I think Lacazette, in my opinion, would be the most sense to let go to create some space for their forwards, but also just kind of relieve some of that money that they have invested in him because i know like it was another big name transfer so they could open up some money in case they want to you know the summer window transfer opens up and they want to fill that role or find a better backline they need help in the backline <laughs> that is the one thing arsenal really really is struggling in and that's the last a shame. time they had a good one they've always they've never had that guy to lock it down. They've always had the David Louis or basically someone who is exactly like him. <laughs> Honestly, those paychecks should just come with a red card attached at this point. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Tottenham looks insanely mediocre under Mourinho. Would they be better with Poach? My, my favorite English team was Tottenham. When it was Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, Deli Ali was still a prospect. Kyung Min Son was just brand new. I was so excited about the team because they were a bunch of young guns who played a fun type of soccer. And Pochettino seemed like the perfect coach for them. He was a very much a player's coach. He did well with their with their transfer policy. They've never been one to spend money. They've never they've always been so so conservative on spending. My one grievance about the club, but Mourinho is not the style of Tottenham as much as like I would love for them to have a high profile coach. I just don't think that he fits their identity. Did you get it all out, Adam? <laughs> yes, I did. I miss Pochettino. I said it. I miss Mauricio. Come back. His son actually just recently signed with a team, and uh, Pochettino showed up in Spurs gear with, to take a picture with him, and everyone's like, oh, he's coming back. He's he coming. He will return. Right. It's a shame, as someone who's kept up with the Premier League, I would say year in, year out, with... Tottenham used to be, you know, a, a front runner for the league. And I'm not saying that they've completely fallen off that track, but certainly with Mourinho, it's not like they've found themselves back on it. It's just when I think of Mourinho, 
he just brings so much just paparazzi and attention and honestly not all of it's positive and just Tottenham doesn't seem like that kind of team that needs a big name coach where the attention a lot of the times is on the coach more than the team itself or the players because I love watching especially Son and uh, Bergwijn right yeah Bergwijn's it I love him Super fun, great offensively-minded players. I mean, of course, you have Harry Kane, but I think they just have such a good team on paper that I just don't know if Mourinho's the kind of coach that they need to help push them to that next level. Just Mourinho has a style where it's it's his way or no way. And yeah, that kind of makes sense why they've stalled out so much, especially this, since he's shown up. There hasn't been that uptick that you've seen with Arteta and Skolsiar. I don't know. I could see Mourinho being sacked at the end of this, I w- and I wouldn't even be that surprised. Um, that just seems to be Mourinho's thing. You know, they bring him in. Oh, my God, Pete, they got Mourinho. Either it works out really, really well, or it just implodes a few months later. <laughs> w- would you rather, like, sit on him until something the gears start turning, or do you cut him off now? That's tough. Initially, I'm thinking... All right, well, how do the players feel, right? You always want to be, as a coach, you want to make sure your players are comfortable. They they want to play for who is coaching them. Articles I've read, Mourinho, as a coach, can be somewhat of a, of a hard person to be a player under. And sometimes that works. You can get the best out of your players, or other times that just is not the way teams work. Like, sometimes that could cause teams to shut down stall out or sometimes it's like oh they needed that extra kick in the butt to get going so i really don't know how the locker room is feeling with Mourinho, um because i personally haven't kept up too much with tottenham this season um so he the in favor players like him a lot so uh, it's kind of the it's kind of the high school syndrome i think of the players that play a lot like the coach and the players that sit the bench and never play hate the coach and you could see that when Mourinho's at a Real Madrid, the same thing happened. This, all the players that played loved him, and then there was constant locker room talk of players who didn't get played, and they wanted to leave, on, and they left unhappily, and they said Mourinho was the worst. So, right, and that's why I think Pochettino was such a great coach. Was he was he was very much willing to play prospects in big games and letting young players flourish and get them experience that you can't get on a training pitch, game time. That's where you get the best experience, and I think that's where Poach really maximized his players. Mourinho's, Mourinho knows he's he brought he was brought in to get wins. Has it worked out all the way? Eh. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, but hence why he always plays his strongest players consistently, though. Yeah, I don't blame him. All right, next up, relegation race. You guys know the rules. Bottom three are relegated. Right now, we got the bottom five being West Ham. Watford, Aston Villa, Burnhamouth, and uh, Norwich. Bournemouth? Bournemouth? Bournemouth. 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 Yeah. <laughs> British names. Dude, British I don't know why you say it mouth. They say it myth. M-I-T-H almost. Mm-hmm. Place called Barry St. Edmunds. It's spelled B-U-R-Y, like Bury. Oh, that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where they buried St. Edmund, I guess. But anyway, so bottom five, West Ham, Watford, Aston Villa. I already forgot to say Burnmouth, Bournemouth, yeah. and Norwich. And the bottom three are relegated. Who do you got? So it's kind of weird to see Bournemouth and Norwich this low when they're only one year removed from having solid seasons. 
especially Bournemouth, uh, they have talent on their team, like Ryan Frazier, Joshua King, Callum Wilson, Nathan Ake, and Norwich, they they were kind of the surprise with uh, all their young guns, young English guns on their team. They're all in the transfer gossip now. Surprised to see that those two teams are rounding out the bottom. But this late, uh, I got to go with the W's, uh, West Ham and Watford. Just because in the point difference, they're already four points ahead of Aston Villa and Bournemouth. These teams play for draws, so I don't see them getting wins in the near future to vault them in the positions that they're in. I was watching that Watford highlight today, and Danny Welbeck scored the bicycle kick, and the commentators were speaking on how important that is for them to get those three points. I think West Ham should be okay. Watford should be okay. I think... Those bottom three, man, I agree with you. Bournemouth, I'm surprised they're down there, especially since there's transfer rumors for Ake and people are thinking about, because so many players get loaned out there. I feel like they have the lanky from Liverpool. Yeah, and I think King is also alone, if I remember correctly. I just feel like they have the talent to where they shouldn't be that far down, but you can't discredit teams like Sheffield United, who just shoot into the Premier League and are like, what, they're under the, they're in between the top 10, right? Something like that? I think think as of today, they are eighth. Yeah, like teams that you would assume would be fighting to stay just in the Premier League are now able to play successfully and honestly challenge like the middle of the pack teams. Brighton and Albion, another team that they're not the greatest team compared to other Premier League teams, but they're definitely able to compete and which is why they're not in the bottom three so i think it's you can't discredit the bottom five teams as like bad teams it's just i think the other teams that normally people think would be in that position have just been playing better sheffield norwich would beg to differ with you with 21 points Um, (laughs) you you know what's uh what's funny about norwich three out of those 21 points they got is when they upset Man City at the start of the season. When Pookie was the man of the month, fast forward, post-COVID, end of 2020, 19 season, whatever you want to call this, at the bottom of the of the table. To think that they upset Man City at the start of the season, Pookie was scoring goals left and right. Even, like I said, got man of the month. Only 21 points to show for it. I don't know, man. It's tough. The only uh, reason I know who Timu Puki is is because I had Premier League Fantasy, and I had him for that month, and then oh. he just fell off the table. Oh, so that month, I mean, that month you got a lot of points from Puki. Oh, yeah. And it cost, like, a quarter of what, like, Aguero would cost. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame. I think Norwich will be out. I don't want to see Bournemouth go out because I do like some of their younger players. Aston Villa, to me... Yeah, I could care less. Watford, I do like Watford because they did beat Liverpool a while ago when they were on that like 20-something win streak. You love to see the underdog sometimes. West Ham, indifferent. I think West Ham, Aston Villa, those teams are just kind of indifferent. And I don't see... West Ham is just Man United transfer rumors. That's it. Yeah, they're just those teams that will be there. And that's it. So my picks, West Ham, Watford, going with the W's. Uh, I would have to agree with you on those, especially after Watford won, I think, yesterday or today. I think they were playing. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Next up, Captain America's back, Pulisic. Can he save USA soccer? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Adam, you want to start with this one? (laughs) Short answer, kind of. Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. Because, again, it takes 11 people on the pitch to win a game. And USA has about four. 
we're almost there. The the way he is playing is definitely encouraging. He he definitely has that hype that kind of Clint Dempsey had. It's like Captain America. It's something we can talk about here in the states, and we can something we can show our real patriotism for because USA soccer is depressing, and <laughs> it's been depressing my whole life. The one time we were excited for it, uh, I was going into college my freshman year for the World Cup. I remember they made it out of the gr- quote unquote group of death just because Germany was there. Yeah, it was it was Germany, Germany and Portugal, Portugal right? yeah, mm-hmm, and, and then Portugal dropped their first two. So yep. it's kind of like group of death, sure. And then I remember watching, they got out of the group and everyone's saying, wow, Clint Dempsey, Tim Howard, they are gods of, of soccer. And then I remember I, was, I went to an Atlanta Braves baseball game and the pregame on the scoreboard, they were showing the World Cup match uh, between USA and Belgium um, in the round of 16. And Tim Howard, what a game. Wow. And everyone's talking about it for four years on how we lost two to nothing. Two nil, sorry. Watching MLS, it's just depressing overall. Like the quality of players isn't there. Um, The ones that do have quality, like Zlatan for a few months, Wayne Rooney for a few months before he complained that the defenders tried to kill him because no one knew how to tackle. It's This is a glimmer of hope for USA soccer. And Pulisic being back... He's scoring goals back to form. He's only 21 years old. Single-handedly, he cannot save USA soccer, but gosh, he can sure try. Oh, man, I really don't want to slander this man's name. Yeah, you, you might have a whole country after your head after this. Uh, hey, 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 context. Uh, I'm originally born in El Salvador. Fans out there, okay. But I do support US soccer. That is the team I support the most. After following soccer my entire life, playing it, whatever, you just get so many of these players who, don't get me wrong, exceptional. Pulisic is great. He is amazing. Plays Played for BVB. Worked their, his way up to their through their academy. First team. Big transfer to Chelsea. Been popping off for Chelsea. But when I think of American soccer, USA men's national team, all I can think about is just how bad the academies we have here are how bad some of the coaches I've played for, how bad of a way to get to professional soccer in America is, how bad the development is. And I think U.S. men's soccer will not be good until maybe like 20, 30 years down the road. Even saying that, I'm like, I don't even know if that's going to happen because it's going to take like players like Pulisic or Josh Sargent or Weston McKinney all these players who leave the States to go play abroad at a young age so they can get the development they need to be able to play at European-level soccer, French, Italian, German, Spanish. It's going to take players doing that before the U.S. Federation's like, huh, maybe we should try to invest more in our development here and have our players develop here than having players like Christian Pulisic I think at like age 13 is when he went to Germany with his dad, you know, made a living there and played. We all know the story. I'm just kind of off that bandwagon, though, of Captain America. Pulisic is back. He's young. He's great. He just needs better players around him. And I don't think America has that yet. For someone who has never been on that wagon, this is this is fun. Like for someone who has had zero hope for USA (laughs) soccer, probably ever. This is fun for me. Because you never know. They could win a game or two. Maybe they won't lose the Trinidad and Tobago to be able to play in turn- future tournaments. I think that having Pulisic, the way we can increase the quality of the national team is to do what we did with Serginio Dest. 
where they can choose between two different teams and then they just happen to choose U.S. U.S. has a huge talent pool in the Bundesliga right now. Like you were saying, Sergeant McKinney, Tyler Adams. Um, We have all these kind of people that are seeds in the academy. And I feel like the only way that we can improve domestically the quality of the soccer is to improve our quality outside of it first. Like you were saying, we definitely have to develop those kids outside of here first until we can figure our own stuff out. Uh, when I was living in England, uh, there's a school that we would play for soccer, baseball. It was a boarding school called Tassis. And uh, there's some Americans out there like going through like academy stuff. They're pretty good. And see, that that's that's the thing. You want a hot take, Adam? I'm going to tell you this straight up. Christian Pulisic is a great player, but uh, he's average at best compared to world-class names. Uh, and that's, that's just not really that hot of a take, to be honest. But, okay, maybe not for you, maybe not for <laughs> yeah, me, true. but for our fans, right. people who are in America, I'm like, Pulisic is a great player. He would destroy me on a one-on-one game. I'm not, I'm, this isn't me bashing. I think as a American fan, as someone who grew up in America and following American soccer, it's like people think Pulisic, Donovan, Dempsey, Howard are all these like, God sent saviors of soccer for America. And I'm like, uh, like they're, they're like, okay. At best compared to the other talents. <laughs> yeah. Like 38 year old Zlatan tore up the MLS. Uh, and exactly. That, you can just leave it at that man transferred back to AC Milan because he was so bored. <laughs> hey. He was about to get the scoring title at almost 40 years old and got bored and left. Yeah, chill with that, dude. The MLS is where you go to retire. I read an interesting article from TIFO Football saying that the U.S. is actually, clubs are finally getting it in their heads that we are not a retirement league anymore. Like, you're starting to see emerging talents, kind of like uh, Alfonso Davies, to where investing in youth wins you more games, which gets more revenue in. Because big games, because you have to pay these retired stars a heck of a lot of money to get a marginal fan popularity, right? Teams are starting to get it through their head of, hey, maybe I can invest in some youth prospects and I actually try to develop some kids. You mentioned Alfonso Davies, right? I'm like, remember though, he just did his big move to Bayern not that long ago, left yep. the States to go get better development across the, the pond. And I think it's going to take players like that to go get development over there at a young age play their entire or majority of their career in Europe in the top five leagues and then come back to the States. And if they, you know, feel like it, have it in their heart to help develop our (laughs) youth ranks, that's what it's going to take for American soccer and American development to be something in the future. Because right now it's like creating a brick wall. Honestly, if you had to make me choose of saying, hey, do you want the MLS to be super popular? Do you want to have and have a terrible national team, or do you want to have a, a decent national team and the MLS is whatever, I'm, I'm kind of on the side of picking the national team. See, the thing with America is that the soccer system is completely different. Well, okay, the sports system in the United States is different from, like, the sports systems overseas. You know, say you're playing, like, baseball or something, played in high school, then you go play for your university, and then you go play a pro, where uh, 
in overseas, if you're going to play soccer, you go to like an academy at 13 and you work your way up through the ranks and you play for the team. How do you, how do you solve that here? Like, what can you do about that? Nothing. You send, you send your kids to Germany, bring them back, <laughs> bring them back when they're good. I grew up playing soccer and I, I think at rec soccer, you can sign up at like six. By the time I think I was 10, I was playing select soccer and I got recruited for the SC Dallas pre-academy team or to go try out. It was a recruitment to go try. It wasn't even like a full on you have a spot. I went and tried out. I got a spot and it was I got a scholarship for two seasons where my basically like travel fees were waived, uh, tournament fees. All I had to pay, well, not me, my parents paid, were just uniforms. And I think like just getting to a tournament from point A to point B right there and back. And even then, it was expensive. We would go out there and practice Monday night, Wednesday night, I think Thursday night or Friday night, because we would play tournaments and games on Saturdays and Sundays. And even then, I was like, we were, there were times where we get beat. Like we were get dismantled, dismantled by other teams. And I'm just thinking, man, like, I thought I was good because I could make it on a team like this. And we're getting dismantled by other teams. And then the Dallas Cup comes around, which is like the young, the biggest youth sports cup for soccer that we have in the States, where the likes of Wayne Rooney played, Clint Dempsey played in when they were kids, um, where I think you have some of the MLS players who played in it when they were younger. And thinking like these international teams that are coming to play, they're just at a whole nother level. And they're my age. Like that, that's one thing as a kid that it never made sense to me. I was like, how is the development so off? But even then, I, I don't know what you can do. I know FC Dallas, for example, at, I think if you make it up until your ninth grade year, like of high school education, you can transfer over to a different high school where they, that high school works like tandem with the academy. So you can train in the mornings, go to class, train for lunch, and then like have study hall afterwards. So, but even then, I'm like, if you have that FC Dallas Academy play, let's say, uh, Academy from Brazil, same age group, there's probably going to be a huge difference in skill. So who knows what it's going to take? So you touched on uh, it being like kind of pricey just to like travel to your like tournaments and stuff. Would you say in the United States, there's a like a barrier, like money is a barrier of entry to like soccer here? I think it's also talent, though. I think it's a sports thing because we have so many other sports that we see as a priority that soccer is honestly a secondary priority, right? Because we send all of our athletes to go play football, basketball, baseball, hockey. And then we get the kids who are smaller, can kind of run, and we send them to go play soccer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm feeling a little offended here. <laughs> like, soccer was always a secondary thing for me. It was, oh, you can go play soccer, but hey, you should try out for baseball, football, or, or basketball. It's never, hey, you're a heck of an athlete. Go out for soccer. Kind of a culture thing, too. No, that so, that is true. I think it's, it's a big culture thing, because for me, right, as a Hispanic male, soccer was always, like, first choice. One, because it was my favorite sport, but... My brother played it. My dad played it. My grandpa played it professionally in El Salvador. El Salvador Pro League's not that big of a deal. I, I don't don't think I'm super hype about that. But it was like something that I and my family and my culture, that was like the sport. And I never once was like, 
oh, I want to play soccer for fun. It was like, I want to play soccer to be good at it and make something out of it. And I never looked at other sports as like, oh, I want to try football. No, because I was going to get broken in half. I thought it was a ridiculous sport. Basketball didn't have the good hand-eye coordination. I shoot a ball. It's not even going to be close to the basket. Baseball, can't swing a bat to save my life. Um, but for some reason, a ball to my feet was something that always made sense, still does. But yeah, I don't I don't know. It, I think it's just a culture thing because here people didn't really care. Like people would be like, oh, you're good at soccer. And I was like, yeah. But if I was good at soccer somewhere else, it'd be like, hey, this kid, this kid is like good. Like, let's let's put him somewhere else. Like, let's see what he can do. So I think it takes a certain eye and just like being at the right place at the right time uh, when it comes to soccer in America where you can get recruited or you can get picked up. And even like I was for a little bit, I, they only waive like two seasons. What's to say that my third season that I didn't play, or let's say it was like the third season, I decide I can't afford it. And then that was the season where I just like take off, right? Like I start producing and it starts my, my career path. That that wouldn't happen in another country where they have these players and they can teach them and develop them and nurture them to hopefully one day they just it just clicks, right? And they take care of everything. I don't think it's like that here. And I think that's what changes it, makes everything different. I mean, even just like walking around cities in Europe versus uh, here in the United States, like you'll see people just like, you know, kicking a soccer ball around because it's a, it's a pretty low like entry barrier sport to get into. Like you just carry a ball around. You have the sport with you with like football. You need the football, you need pads, a helmet, whatever, yeah, basketball, you need a hoop. Hockey, that's a whole other story. That's super hard to get into. <laughs> Culture around soccer here is just so... The climate's so different. Yeah, very good point. Now, it is time for the transfer rumors. The gossip of soccer. Yes, the <laughs> transfer rumors. Uh, Adam, why don't we have you go through that? <laughs> Alright, I would love to. Because this this is where I spend my day is going through Twitter, seeing who's rumored to where. All right, Timo Werner, Hakim Zayish, possibly Kai Havertz to Chelsea. That's a pretty solid spending spree after spending a year on transfer ban. Uh, there are reports of Chelsea's prepared to sell six players. They haven't released it. There haven't been really rumors on who those people are yet. So if they get Havertz um, and they have this German connection with Werner up front, uh, what do you see them doing next season, Ronnie? Front three of Pulisic, Werner, Zayish, and then Havertz to support that. What do you think? Okay, even with all these rumors, it just seems too good to be true for all this to work out in Chelsea's favor. Chelsea's a good team. As someone who you know considers themselves somewhat of a Chelsea fan, I just don't think they are a big enough club or name. And I know that's like a stretch because it's Chelsea. To be able to pull in all these guys in one summer window. I think it will take, I think they're willing to sell players and make an effort for it. I just don't think they can win out players like this from the likes of Real Madrid, Atletico, you know, your top La Liga teams or your Bundesliga teams like Bayern. Like if those teams are interested, I don't see Chelsea being the team that gets that prospect. But for playing for Chelsea legend, Frank Lampard, I got to say it would be extremely tempting um, as especially as a young twenty-one-year-old player like Havertz, who's exploding in Bundesliga, he I is. think this honestly is the perfect move for him. As a Bayern fan, I would love for him to go to uh, the Bavarian Giants, but 
They, I think, re- reports have shown that they're once they spend Asane, they might be done on big transfers for the window. They're probably going to wait another year, maybe till he's a free agent. But Leverkusen seems ready to pull the trigger. I think they need they need to sell high. If Chelsea can do it, they have to. If they want to get back to Champions League success um, and com- competing on that international level, I think Havertz kind of almost puts them there. I still think they need a better goalkeeper and better defense. That top, that front three is going to be what we're talking about that like Sané, Firmino, and Salah is right now. Yeah, that, I mean, that top three is, is pretty gross in a good way. I just, I think though, with that top three, I know you said Pulisic. I just don't think Pulisic is that, unless he keeps playing like he is, which I would like to see him play. But I mean, he's got what? And on the bench, Lampard has... Tammy Abraham, Giroux, like, even though Giroux's towards the end or like latter end of his career because he's a little bit older, I still don't know who that third spot would be if it was Warner um, and you had Havertz in the midfield. I think it'd just be like, I would like to see Chelsea be a contender against the likes of Man City and Liverpool because I, I don't think Man U or Tottenham are really the, maybe even up there with Leicester. I could see, I could see like the top three being Liverpool, Man City, and a fight between Leicester and Chelsea if this goes through. And then, you know, third and fourth would be between Chelsea and Leicester. That would be like my next season's prediction of top four. So Man United, uh, they are linked to every single winger <laughs> with a pulse. They've been linked to Jaden Sancho, Jack Grealish, Adama Traore. Like Man United always does, they're linked to anyone and everyone that they want. They, they seem to have eat lots of leaks somewhere in the press. They're, they're obviously going for someone for that right wing spot. Um, they don't seem to trust Mason Greenwood just yet. He's still developing. Daniel, Daniel James is still really young. He hasn't really developed his skills enough yet. He's a lot more of a fast guy who clears some defenders, but still needs the technical side. So I think they're trying to get for a proven asset, someone who can really change their offense. Who do you think would be the best fit for them? Best fit? Sancho, Grealish, or Traore. Or if you have another out of the out of left field, let me know. I think best fit for Man U, I think Sancho, honestly. He's young which seems to be like Man United's thing where they just like to have a lot of young players. I hate being that person, but like, you know, the class of 92, like all these Man U young guns who were in the academy and, you know, work their way up. But I think Man U seems to do better when they have a younger team with a few veteran players like trickled without, throughout. I think Sancho fits well. He can go down the line, go down the side and cut in whenever he wants to. And I think he has that freedom as a top class player to do that. Grealish seems like a more possible like yeah, transfer than so Sancho. Sancho is probably going to cost a hundred mil. Yeah, Grealish yeah. and Traore are a lot more realistic. I think exactly. But with Traore, he's actually he's young enough to where he he's wanted by other by other large clubs. Yeah. So I think Grealish is the only one who isn't isn't going to be taken away by a Liverpool or by a Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, so I think honestly. I think that Grealish might be exactly what they're looking for. I know that's weird to say, but if you're not ready to shell out for Jaden Sancho, I think he would be the priority of saying, hey, if I was old Gunner, I'm doing everything I can to get Sancho. Can't afford it. I'm going Grealish. Grealish is the more realistic option. Sancho, young, big, big name, up and coming. Adama Traore. I remember a while ago I was reading, it was like Adama Traore linked with Barcelona. I was like, what? It's like this guy came out from nothing on Wolverhampton. 
Grealish would just be the more realistic option. And I think so, they will have to take someone who kind of flies under the radar like Grealish might a little bit in the window just because of other big names that are moving right now. That man, you could probably sweep in there and pick him up for a decent price um, where they can get some value out of him and in turn kind of use it later on as someone they can sell if he were to develop better or play better at Man U since he won't be playing for a crappy team. <laughs> okay. So speaking of Wolverhampton, what do you think about Man U trying to swoop in on Raul Jimenez? I am not a Mexico fan, um, but I think that link between Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez and Ruben Neves for Wolverhamptons is so much fun to watch and their style of soccer, how they're just so attack-minded and aggressive on counters. It is gorgeous. It is entertaining. Raul Jimenez is your typical number nine forward who is there just to score goals. And Man United needs goals. <laughs> they need so do, to score. do you not think Martial can't take the take the role of that number nine? How long has Martial been there where he's been like a concrete number nine? I think he's good. I think he can. He's been scoring. But I feel like at this point, I understand Man U's wanting to gamble to bring in Raul Jimenez for someone who is going to be consistent like Jimenez has been for Wolverhampton. You know what I mean? I think Martial mm-hmm. can. I just don't think they have that full trust in him because he has been there for so long and hasn't filled that role as much as they probably want him to. So, Mateo, back to Arsenal, since we haven't talked about them in a minute. Matteo Guendouzi is sick of Michael Arteta not playing him. There seems to be a trend with uh, some of these people wanting a transfer. Um, so, he, a lot of people are coming knocking, Everton included. Um, and some surprises like Atletico, Madrid. I think the reason teams have interest... Ganduzi has shown promise in the midfield. He's young, 21 years old, played for you know a team at the likes of Arsenal, has that development, has the skill to be a starter. And honestly, it just sounds, it happens at every club. You get a new coach, you fall out of favor with that coach or vice versa, whatever. And then at that point, it's just better for you and the coach and the team involved for one to part. And most of the times it's the players who end up parting ways because they're just easier to deal with, easier to sell than it'd be sacking a coach or getting a new coach. If you were Guendouzi and you had to go to a new club, do you choose Everton, Barcelona, or Atletico Madrid? Putting my biases aside out of what I would want to do, if I was just interested in play time, I would probably go to Everton. I don't think, unless you go to Barca and get loaned out to Everton, Everton. (laughs) (laughs) then I get, at that point, it's the same deal. Uh, But if it was like a bigger club, let's, you know, like you said, you you read that even Raul is interested. I just find it hard for these players who, one, are young. I'm not saying they're bad because they're young, but it's just a lot of these teams, like you said, Barca, Real, Bayern, they like to get players who are most of the time in form already and are going to go onto the pitch and start making an impact. And I don't think Ganduzi's like that caliber yet. So I think if he was to go to a big team, it would just be a situation where they're either a sub or get loaned out. Um, Now, if he truly just cares about playing, I think maybe moving to a smaller team in the Premier League is the right way to go. That might be Everton. Or that and there's be no better team. way to get revenge than to play for a team that plays Arsenal three, four times a year. Exactly. And then just, you know, being in that midfield and just, just pooping on him one day, you know, that that's, there's nothing sweeter than that. He apparently hasn't even trained with him for two weeks now. So yeah, I think he wants out. Uh, that might be a, might be a sign. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not even showing up to practice for two weeks, I don't think you want to be on that team anymore. Yeah, so we have some hot takes. I'm going to have you guys rate it on a BS meter. All right. So Sheffield United goalkeeper Dean Henderson is better than Man United's David De Gea. BS meter is definitely high. I think Sheffield United is actually a better team than Man United. I just don't think Dean Henderson is that reason, though. I think Sheffield United is just a good squad this year and are organized and are solid. I I just can't. I don't know. I've seen David De Gea play too many seasons, and there's times where he can be top tier up there with Neuer and Ter Stegen, like those kinds of goalkeepers that I just feel blasphemous saying Dean Henderson is better. So I'm going to point out a key word that you just said. I agree that prime David De Gea is world-class, but you said was, was on that level. Is he still on that level? Absolutely not. Honestly, I think Dean Henderson is a better goalkeeper than David De Gea. David De Gea has been sloppy this year. He has an impro- hugely improved defense this year um, with Juan Bissaka and Maguire in front of him, and he's giving up more goals than he ever has. Analytically-wise, he's having the worst season of his life. And Dean Henderson is on the uptick. I, I am buying high on Dean Henderson. I don't think that's that crazy of a statement. I he might not be better than him yet, but he's he will be. I think so. Mm, so should I move my stocks to Dean Henderson's? Uh... I believe so. He, hopefully, he doesn't turn into Joe Hart. Hey, if you said Sheffield United, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. <sighs> Just on one player, though, that's that's tough. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll keep an eye on Dean Henderson. I'm curious. All right, next up, Crystal Palace should have sold Zaha three years ago. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's not that hot of a take, to be honest. I think they should have. They, uh, Dude. They, they should have pulled high on him. They they thought he was the next, like, Messi, to be honest. They denied so many, so many bids for him um, when he was in form. Uh, when he was, I think, 25 at the time, uh, he had probably three different clubs, knock, big clubs knocking on his door, ready to pay out 70 to 90 mil for him. I think they should have taken the highest bid for him. His position and where Crystal Palace is, I don't think him as a left winger, striker, attacker, I don't think him playing that position changes where they are as kind of the, just fighting off relegation every year by year. I think they could, could have taken the money, spent reallocated it somewhere else, potentially new talent to maybe shore out the rest of the team. Yeah, dude. I think they should have taken the bag when Zaha was linked with top clubs all across Europe, taking that money back, ran with it, invested it into the other players, into bringing in more players, uh, different players. And I think Crystal Palace now would have been in a much better place in the Premier League and maybe not fighting so much just to stay out of the bottom three. Honestly, at this point, I even feel like, uh, what's his name, Jordan Ayewu, Ayewu, something like that, has more. IU has more value to Crystal Palace than Zaha does. So I think Crystal Palace fumbled the bag on that one a few seasons ago, man. They should have just taken the highest bid and ran and forgotten about it. Wherever Zaha would have been now, would have they would have been straight chilling because they would have had a much better team all around without him than holding him on and being like, we want the max and want all this money. And now they're just kind of stuck with him because I don't think those big name clubs are that interested in Zaha anymore. 
but not not for a 27, 28-year-old winger who isn't scoring nearly at the rate he was. All right. Well, on the other side of the leaderboard, Man United wins the league next year with the addition of one defender. Wins the league with the addition of one defender. Okay. For me, they are missing two defenders. They need someone a little more consistent than Luke Shaw. Brandon Williams is a nice prospect, but he is still kind of a prospect. Um, and they need a center back. Uh, like Linda Lolf's been inconsistent. Phil Jones is not your answer. Eric Bailly is hurt 90% of the time. Um, and he's been rumored to leave for a long time. Chris Smalling's doing better at Roma, but not bringing him back won't do much either. So I think they are two defenders away from being in the top four. Winning the league, it's really hard to overcome Man City and Liverpool just by the addition of one player, which Bruno Fernandes arguably made them that much better. I think that they, they're they still not a complete team. Yeah, uh, my BS meter is uh, almost off the charts on this one. <laughs> as much as I like Man U, uh, yeah, I don't see them competing with the likes of Man City and Liverpool with one defender. They're going to need a lot more than uh, than just a lone defender. Yeah, uh, my BS meter is uh, off the charts for this one. I don't know. I don't know whose hot take this is, but I'm just they're wrong. <laughs> Every Man United fan probably. Well, next up, uh, and you guys might like this one. Chelsea's goalkeeper Gepa is a bust for the amount they paid for him. So okay, Chelsea's situation was really really hard when they lost Thibaut Courtois to Real Madrid because it it was only with a few days left in the transfer window I think they lost their star goalkeeper that they had for years and so they had to scramble and they still still really wanted to compete um they didn't trust William Caballero and so they went out and tried to make the next Allison Becker transfer and they went after Kepa um they said that this kid's the next thing he's going to be our savior um he's our next Courtois he has not been that's for sure even though he kind of costed more than Allison Becker, by the definition of a bust, I say yes, because he is the record transfer fee for a goalkeeper. Does he play like one? Absolutely not, especially under Sari and during that the penalty shootout where he was trying to get subbed off. <laughs> and he refused. And he said no. <laughs> I think that... Just as a culmination and as a meme, Keppa is a bust. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I think Keppa currently under his Chelsea stint is just best personified by what you mentioned. Him refusing to sub off for sorry. I personally cannot think of a coach who would allow a player to do that regardless and at the top pro level to be doing that. I think that just shows so much for the player and the coach a little bit, but for the player, especially as someone who's just kind of, that's just disrespectful. It's unprofessional. And yeah, to hold the record transfer fee for a goalkeeper and not to be honestly, even then the short list of players who are or goalkeepers who are top tier world-class. I think it's by all terms, he's, he is a bust in my book. Short, short answer. Kep was a bust. <laughs> yeah. They bungled that one. A lot of bags being fumbled in these hot takes. And that concludes our first episode of Common Fan Commentary. Let us know what you want to see in the next episode. We'll see you all next time.
Bye, guys.